Welcome to In the Room, episode number seven. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you don't know, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. You can find me online at ryanhughley.com and on Twitter and Instagram at, at @ryanhughley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. The concept of the podcast is simple. I want to bring you into the room with pastors, authors, and artists for conversations about the craft of ministry. As always, you can contribute to the conversation online using the hashtag in the room. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I wanted to ask you a favor. If these conversations have been a blessing to you, would you mind helping me spread the word? Uh, I've learned so much. I just want to help get this great content to as many people possible. And there's two simple ways you can help. Uh, Number one, you can share in the room with friends and followers on social media. And number two, you can leave a review on iTunes. I would be so honored if you'd help me spread the word in those two ways. Now on to this week's episode. This week I'm talking with Carlos Whitaker. I'm not even sure how to describe what all he does. He's a worship leader, recording artist, speaker, author, and social media machine. In our conversation, we discuss his new book, Moment Maker, how to bring more intentionality to our lives and ministries, and we also talk a little bit about how to use social media without losing our souls. Now, I've followed Carlos for a long time, so it was a huge honor to get to spend time with him, and I walked away very inspired. So grab your coffee, start your workout, or hit the commute, and come in the room for my conversation with Carlos Whitaker. Hey, Carlos, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, I wanted to start, uh, I know that there's going to be a, obviously a huge number of people that know you from your blog and social media, but for those that might be listening that don't know you, can we just start with a little bit of your background? Like where, where you're from Southern California originally, correct? I'm originally from East LA. Okay. Um, like, like Vatos Locos, like, like gang banging, you yeah. know, like that kind of crew. Like I'm the only cousin that hasn't been to jail yet. So okay. like, you know, it's, it's, it's that crew. I was born in East LA and, um, uh, that's kind of where my, my family is from. My dad planted a church there in the 70s called Primera Iglesia Bautista, um, first first bilingual Baptist church of Pico Rivera. And so um, I grew up in the church. He preached his sermons in English and in Spanish, like at the same time. So wow. uh, he, he would translate from like one sentence to the next. This is some in English Espanol. God's the same in English and in Spanish. And, you know, so his sermons were great, but they were literally like twice as long as the normal message. So like <laughs> yeah. I grew up in, like he's, he's like preaching it two times. But uh, yeah, man, Southern California. Uh, but then I, I, I ended up moving and doing elementary school and high school in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, my dad um, was part of the uh, Southern Baptist Convention and the at that point, it was called the Home Mission Board, but it, it turned into the North American Mission Board. And he uh, he worked there kind of my all, all the way through elementary school and high school. And then we moved back to California and I went to college uh, at California Baptist University in Riverside, California. Met my wife there. And um, man, we've uh, we've been married almost 15 years now. That's three awesome. kids. You know, now I'm living in Nashville, Tennessee. And um, we've been here for about four years. Cool. So I first met you uh, teaching a workshop at a Saddleback Worship Conference. I think you were teaching on blogging. Yeah. And uh, and so when I first met you, you were working at Sandals uh, Church. And was yes, that like, so was that your, I know you were there for like 10 years, right? Yep. 10 years. So uh, has uh, was that the first church that you worked at after college? Um, no, I actually worked at a church in Fresno, California called People's Church. Okay. Um, and I was the junior high um, oh, I guess worked would be a stretch. Okay. So like, like, like kind of like the junior high intern, I got fired like twice, you know, like, but, but <laughs> like my all good interns do, like all good interns. Yeah. You know, my first experience working in the church was, was there. Uh, but yeah, then I went to college and then, um, well, while I was in school, uh, my roommate said, Hey man, like, like I had actually just transferred to Cal Baptist university. 
And he said, hey, there's a, there's a group of us meeting. We're calling ourselves Sandals Church. And, you know, you, I think you'd like it. And I was like, what, what do you mean? What's Sandals Church? Like, yeah. that's the strangest name. And he's like, no, blessed are the feet that bring good news, man. Like, it was so SoCal. It was like, yeah. you know, we wear sandals. And uh, so, man, I gave it a shot. There was probably 16 or 17 people there that Sunday. Uh, and I ended up being there for 11 years and joined staff uh, a year after I started going. When we, I guess we were running maybe 60 people. I uh, was there for 10 years, left when we were kind of hitting about 4,000 people a Sunday, and we were still clueless as to what we were doing. Um, but it was it was an unbelievable uh, journey and uh, definitely where I, you know, kind of um, uh, sunk my roots into ministry. How hard was that emotionally to <clears throat> leave something that you'd been at for so, I mean, I know that was like, that was like family for you and oh, for yeah. Heather. And how was that to to make that decision to move on? Man, it was it was real difficult. You know, I, it wasn't even a, a, a season of... Of, you know, because a lot of people, um, you know, I, I'd say sometimes people use God's will and some terms like that yeah. um, to get away with, 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 honestly, they just don't want to be there anymore. Totally. And so, so um, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't I, got, think, I got dumped by a girl in high school because it was God's will. Yeah, right, yeah. right. And it's like, it's like, so I, I, w- I was try- definitely trying to not play that game. I, I think I got to the place where, um, where I had kind of grown out of my role at Sandals and, um, uh, you know, the leadership was awesome. Everything was great about it, but we just been together. You know, when you're with somebody for, um, or with the same people doing ministry for 11, 10, 11 years, and you start so young, um, what ends up happening, you know, and a lot of people listening to this, you know, may, may even run into this. What ends up happening is, um, when people first, you know, when people first see you in ministry and then you're with them 10 years later, they're probably going to see you pretty much the same only because they've been with you. It's kind of like when you see your kids, right? You, you sure. don't realize how big they've gotten, but someone else that hasn't seen your kids in three years, they're like, oh my gosh, they're huge. And so I'd kind of gotten to the place where I was ready to, um, uh, maybe I didn't know I was ready, but as, as soon as North Point called, I was kind of like, seriously, like I, I ha- I'm in charge of one intern yeah. at Sandals Church, and you want me to be in charge of 12 full-time staff and, you know, uh, you, the entire Sunday operation. And so it was kind of a, um, uh, okay, so all, all that to say, you know, I was surprised when I got that call, but leaving, I, you know, back to your initial question, that was the most heart-wrenching thing I've ever had to do. I mean, it was, I mean, uh, I'd watched the worship culture at Sandals. It was basically me, because I was the worship leader for 10 years, so... Yeah. You know, the way I worshiped was the way they worshiped and to leave that and to go somewhere new where the worship culture was not in any way, shape or form me was real difficult to do. So it was difficult on different, a bunch of different levels. But, uh, you know, I've maintained a great relationship with my buddies over there, Matt Brown and yeah. um, and uh, Nathan Brown, his, uh, the admin pastors moved to Chicago and planted a church there. And, you know, so things have moved on and shifted a little bit. But um, you know, every time I get back to Riverside or to L.A., I try to sneak in. So you went from there, just so everybody kind of, you've done like a million things. So it makes your story pretty fascinating. So you went from Sandals and then you ended up at the Buckhead campus, correct? Yep. And uh, and how long did you end up being there? I was there for three years. Okay. Um, I was the service programming director overseeing everything on Sundays that an adult would experience from the parking lot. Um, all the way to, you know, to what happened on the video screens to, to helping Andy with his messages. And, um, man, I'm telling you what, I would have, I would have paid money for that job. Like my, out of my pocket, yeah. it was almost like going, you know, going up to ministry leadership school for three years. It was unreal. And so the, the, the fact that I got to do that, um, was, uh, you know, obviously it was, a uh, 
um, it, it pushed me into places I, I, I never would have gotten to, you know, had I stayed in Southern California. It stretched me probably farther than I needed to be stretched at some points. But um, man, it, it, was, it was amazing. So I was there for three years. And, uh, and, and that was it obviously... I didn't know how long I would be there. When I got there, I knew it wasn't going to be forever from like Jump Street. I, I said, you know, this, this place, my ethos and its ethos kind of sync up, but not completely. And so, um, man, I, I think three years was a great run there uh, for me and, you know, got into all kinds of mischief there with Jeff Henderson, my, my campus pastor at Buckhead. And we had a, we had a blast, man. And North Point was definitely a major part of my, um, of my story. Okay. And so then from there, I know you did a stint like with Catalyst Leadership. Yeah. So I'm still kind of helping them with stuff. I left there uh, because I, um, I signed a record deal with Integrity Music. Okay. And, um, so here I go again. I wasn't looking to you know to sign a record deal like it. That kind of happened to me as opposed to me happening to it. Yeah, I wasn't shopping demos. I wasn't um, writing songs. <laughs> like I was happy singing Steve Fee songs the rest of my life. You know, like yeah. I wasn't I wasn't looking to write any songs. But you know, I, I think at the end of the day, they saw that I had a really big platform, blogging platform, and I was a worship leader. And they're like, hey, you know, uh, this guy could possibly do something. So sign a record label um, deal with them left North Point staff, continued to lead worship at North Point. Um, and then I, I got with some friends and we were going to plant a church in Chicago called Soul City Church. Yeah. And so we- I'm um, sitting down with Jarrett Stevens in a few weeks. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah. So Jarrett was on staff with me at North Point yeah. and we both left about the same time. And uh, he, you know, him and his wife, Jeannie, had become dear friends of ours and they all but convinced us to move to Chicago. We, we basically were, our church was in their living room for about a year after I left um North Point, just kind of planning and um, dreaming up what Soul City was going to be. We didn't end up making the move, but it's, you know, it's been really cool to see kind of everything that we'd written up on their walls happening yeah. in Chicago now. So that was next in the story was, was Soul City Church. Um, obviously, I've made my first record with Integrity, uh, toured that extensively with, you know, jumped into the CCM world with the Newsboys and Jeremy Camp and John Mark McMillan and went on a whole bunch of fun tours and Shane and Shane. Um, that, that resulted in me moving to Nashville. Okay. Uh, which, which is where I'm at now. No longer um, really making music. Uh, I, I, I did two records. And um, honestly, man, at the end of the day, I just kind of got tired of it. You know, yeah. I, I, I'd been doing it for so long. Um, that, uh, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm such an entrepreneur and I'm always looking for the next new thing. And, um, for me, I need, I need to be doing something new and testing myself and stretching myself. So, which led to kind of the last year and a half of my life, writing the book moment maker. And now I'm probably speaking 80% of the time and leading wow. worship about 20% of the time. And you're still connected to cross point down there and you're still yeah. leading worship and <clears throat> yep. still involved Abs in all that. Right. Absolutely. So like, yeah. you know, um, uh, I guess the, the one thing that you alluded to, I, I did start working with Catalyst um, Leadership Conference. And so I, I'm part of their three events uh, in, in different ways through the last four years. I've led worship there. I've spoken there. I've you know kind of done whatever they needed me to do. Brad Lominick and I are really close friends. And so helped, helped out with that. Moved to Nashville, got really plugged into Crosspoint Community Church here. Uh, Pete Wilson is the pastor there. And yep. uh, it's my home church, man. And my kids go there. My wife goes, all my friends go there. We're part of that small group. And um, I lead worship when I'm in town. Um, a lot of times I'm gone on the weekends, but when I'm here, um, I'm leading worship at Crosspoint and, uh, man, it is a fantastic church to be a part of. That's awesome. Well, I want to talk about the new book, uh, obviously, cause I, yeah. know, is it doing well? 
Dude, it's doing great. I mean, it's awesome. Honestly, like I, you know, I, I didn't know if I was going to be able to write a book. I yeah. write, I write. I'm really good at writing a paragraph, you know, yeah. and, and blogging that <laughs> or 140 characters on Twitter. Yeah, uh, you know, writing the book was man. I, you know, I hired a writing coach. Thank God for my editor. Um, you know, and you know, some people are like, "Oh, you just need to get a ghostwriter." And I was like, "You know what? People are going to know if I don't write this book because they've been reading me for so long." And you know, I think my my crew, uh, the RagamuffinSoul.com crew, that's been reading me forever. Um, I think what I realized why why it was so successful was that although although I'm a worship leader by by trade and that's what I've been doing the last 15 years of my ministerial career. Can I say that ministerial career? That was, that was very really, that, yeah. You I sounded mean, really gosh, professional. Man, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think I think although they they've known that that's what I've uh, that's what I do. They read me every day and right. they've kind of considered me a thought leader. Um, and so when I released the book, man, like I, I've sold more books than I have any of my records combined wow. in, in like seven months. And so, you know, I think people are, you know, grabbing a hold of it and um, it's just been, it's been so much fun. It's well, so, much. so that's called moment maker. And so yeah. if you were just going to kind of define for people, I had somebody on Facebook ask me last night, like, what's the book about? Like, how yeah. are, what are, what are you telling people? What does it mean to be a moment maker? Well, here's the thing. The, the tagline of the book says you can live your life or your life will live you. And before you get old, you know, before people freak out and think I'm getting old Joel, Joel Olstein on him, yeah. um, you know, like it's not about your bef- best life now, you right. know, and, and w- when, when, when I um, look at how we live our lives, um, when, when I look at um, the intentionality of what we're doing, not only in our, um, in our professions, not only with, you know, in our churches, but just in our families and the way that we live. I realized that we're not very intentional about living our lives. And so um, I, I, I kind of started studying what, what posts on my blog, what, what things would get retweeted the most. Um, this was before I started writing the book. And they were always these posts where I would go on an adventure with my family. I would go, you know, I, I would do something crazy with my wife. And I started thinking, you know, people are kind of living vicariously through the Whitakers. They're, 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 they're looking at us on my blog going like, oh, I wish my life could be like that. And I wish I could do that. And I'm sitting there thinking, it can. And so, um, so that, that kind of set me up to start studying the life of Jesus and how he was super intentional with doing three things. Um, the three things I think that Jesus did great were creating moments, receiving moments, and rescuing moments. And those are the three things that I go through in my book. And kind of how I've divided it up is um, you know, you st- created moments are those moments that we're in charge of. They're those moments that uh, we get to define, we get to uh, do for other people, you know, the fun things, the flash mobs, all those things. Um, and, you know, you look through scripture. And so I go into different stories of how Christ was a, a moment maker, creating moments. Then we've got receiving moments. And these are the ones we're not in charge of. These are the ones where kind of like we're surprised. Our ethos gets changed. Um, souls shift because of the gift of a moment somebody's given to us. And I talk about in there how to be open to, um, to receive more of these moments. Um, and then uh, lastly, rescuing moments. I didn't want a, a book filled with, you know, Oprah-isms, right? Like right, I didn't want right. it just to be like, you know, like the Oprah tour and just like, oh, create, receive moments. Yeah. You know, I wanted, I, I know that life sucks for a lot of people yeah. and li- life has sucked for me. And what happens when life sucks, when it knocks you down, how do you rescue those moments? And so um, we look at the life of Christ again and how did he rescue those moments? Then I try to apply it to our lives as well. You know, and so it's filled with a lot of fun stories. Um, there's, there's a little bit of deeper stories in there, but man, I had a lot of fun writing it. And, um, so that's really it. That's the gist of it. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's funny, inspiring. I found it honestly convicting in a lot of ways of just like, as I think this is a really important book for husbands and dads. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's important for everybody, but especially for husbands and dads to do a better job of, 
of of creating uh, moments, and then yeah. also you know the the stuff about rescuing moments was really timely for me because my attitude yeah. sucks most of the time when things go bad and, <laughs> and all that. Yeah. But I just want to say you are for sure the right guy to write this book oh, because thanks, uh, you seem to have this unique knack for capitalizing on opportunities. So I just think yeah. about like from a distance watching, I think about, I think three, three things come to mind. One is the video you had when you were like out shooting a recording of the song and like a homeless guy came up yeah. and sat and you had like, what's mind blowing to me is that like, it's like the one like amazing Rastafarian, he can yeah. rap like, cause if I got like, I'd get mugged. That's what would yeah, happen if it was right. me. So you have that, you have the thing with your son and the video on the single lady thing and Absolutely. that went viral. And then you have yep. this weird thing that just happened with you in Miami yeah, on, yeah. Uh, on the tram that broke down. So I'm just curious, like, how does that happen to you? Yeah. Most yeah. people maybe have one thing like that yeah. in their yeah. life that happens and, and yours continues to happen. So what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, my, my, my thoughts on it are, um, and every time I say this, it sounds, you know, it sounds a little conceited, as, and it's not. Um, so, so as I say this, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But, sure. but what I try to do is I try to happen to life. So, you know, when when most people just you know are kind of waiting for these things to happen. So, like people look at me all the time, and they're like, "Carlos, like you, your family won a People's Choice Award. You had breakfast with the President of the United States in April. Yeah. You have this video go viral. You have, you know, all the, all these things happen to you." And I was like, "No, no, 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 no. All these things don't happen to me." I happen to I happen to all these things, okay. and and why I say that is because you know I was on LA Inc. Um, on yep. the very first season, I got my tattoo on there, and people are like, "Well, man, like that's cool that you walked it." No, I I saw a um, I saw a commercial that they were auditioning people. I got my butt in a car. I drove to the audition. I told my stories to the producer. I like I had to work for that to happen, and yep. so. You know, uh, another thing, and this really kind of all sits on the receiving moments part of my book. Okay. I talk, I talk about pausing and looking up. And, um, you know, most of the time we are glued to, especially now in these days, to like these seven inches of LCD that we hold in our hands. And I tell you what, more people are missing moments in their lives because they're staring at these freaking phones all day long. And so if I would have just looked down and not looked up when Danny, the, that homeless Rastafarian guy, walked by me, I never would have seen him staring at me. And honestly, when I saw him staring at me, I thought to myself, I don't have any money. Like, I, I, I don't have anything for this guy. But something in me, the mo I guess the moment maker in me said, no, say hey to him. So I said, hey to him. He started walking towards me. And I was like, see, God, I don't have any money. Like, why are you sending this guy towards me? And he didn't want that. And just like you saw, and like a million people have seen on the YouTube video, um, he just wanted to sing. And he just wanted to worship. And so I guess the lesson in all of these things that happened to me is, I, you know, I'm looking up constantly. I'm saying yes constantly, and um, and I'm kind of stepping into the mess a lot. Yeah. And the, and the more you step into the mess, the more moments you're going to have. Yeah, that's good. And you, uh, one of the things you talk about is the importance of being present. <clears throat> yeah. And I wonder, as someone who has built a platform on social media, how do you manage all that? And I mean, you would just even reference. I think one of the primary things that steals our ability to do that is the fact that faces are constantly glued to screen. So yep. how do you manage all that and still remain present in these yeah. moments to see these opportunities? Uh, I think there's a couple things. Um, first of all, we, we have this thing in our house called the phone bag. So when you walk into my home, there's a, a paper bag sitting by both doors, the side door and the front door. Okay. And you, and you put your phone in it when you get home. And so um, now my kids have a certain amount of technology time a day. 
And so does dad when he gets home. Okay. My, my, my technology time goes after they go to bed. So when I get home, um, I put it in the, I put it in the bag. Now that's not to say that I can't take an awesome Instagram picture of my kids when they're doing something funny, you know, oh, let's be honest or make them recreate what they just did when they're yeah. doing something funny. Cause yeah. that's what we do. Right. Um, I'll go and I'll grab my, I'll grab my phone, but I have to go get my phone. It's not in my pocket. If your phone's in your pocket, you're always going to be pulling that thing out. And so we, we have this thing called the phone bag. And I tell you that one thing, that singular thing has caused my family um, to grow closer in the last year and a half since we've implemented that into my home than anything else. And then probably the second thing, um, and th- this sounds, uh, it sounds, it's going to sound crazy to some, I took email off my phone. And so hmm. I removed, I removed my email off my phone. And I tell you what, like it has, the only time I check my email is when I open up my laptop. And, um, for a while, email was owning me and I was constantly, you know, on my phone, just reading emails, answering emails. And now that's just not the case anymore. And okay. so, um, you know, I, I just kind of try to put some simple practices in place. I make my living now on, you know, I make it online. Like I book all of my speaking engagements on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Like I don't have a booking manager. I tweet and I blog and I Instagram, Hey, I, I need to, you know, fill up my fall dates and people book me that way. So like Twitter and social media and Instagram, that's very important to my career, uh, but I can't have it, you know, overtake my life. And, and I, th- I think we're, you know, people are running into a very dangerous place these days um, that, uh, you know, you go to dinners, right, and you see a family and you see every single person, kids included, is staring at their phone screens and it breaks my heart. Yeah. yeah. Well, what are some, in addition to kind of what you've been talking about here, what are some of the obstacles that you personally experience, that you hear stories of other people experience that keep them from stepping into this moment maker mentality? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest obstacle, um, at least in America, okay, so I, I think in America, you know, it's, it's that American dream. It's that, this idea that we have to have X, Y, and Z. We, we've got to have the picket fence. We've got to have the minivan. We've got to have each, each kid has to have their own bedroom. We've got to, all these things. And so what happens is in order to achieve those things, uh, we sacrifice the family we're trying to achieve them for. And so we as a family have, you know, intentionally done things like we had this thing, we did this thing two years ago um, called the Whitaker Reboot. And we, we, we're, see, I mean, we live in a small condo in Nashville, Tennessee. And so we, we honestly don't have a lot of stuff already, but it, our stuff was just already beginning to overwhelm us. So my wife had this idea. What if we take everything we want to keep as a family and shove it into one bedroom and then anything we don't want to keep, we keep it out and we have an estate sale. So, so that we literally, I, like my kids were crying. I, I was, I was freaking out. I was like, oh my, but you would be amazed how much crap you can shove into one bedroom. Sure. I mean, when you start stacking things like Tetris, yeah. you know, you can. And so we did that. We took everything we wanted to keep. We put it in a bedroom and then we had an estate sale and people thought somebody died in my house. They're like, you know, <laughs> and so we had all these strangers walking into our house and they're, they're walking around and they're buying all these things. And all of a sudden, all of this stuff was just being released from us and like just stuff that we didn't use and people were buying our sofas and people were buying our table, you know, they were buying all kinds of stuff. And at the end of the day, we felt so free. And I think that, that that's the mentality that, okay, I'm not saying everyone needs to have an estate sale, but I am saying that if we start thinking uh, smaller, if we start thinking um, less, I think that's going to allow for us to have more moments in our lives. I think that, um, 
Uh, I think that's one. That's yeah. one. That's one way that we do it. Again, I think number two. You know, I'll, I'll harp on it till I'm you know rolling the grave. Is that mo- more more of our kids are growing up seeing an Apple logo as opposed to our eyeballs. Yeah. And it's because everything we do, we stick our iPhone right in front of our our eyes, and we're capturing it all the time. And um, I think God created our our minds to be um, you know probably better than a camera is. Yeah. Uh, and, and a lot of times we're going to miss the experience if we're trying to record absolutely everything. I mean, can you imagine, I think I talked about this in my book, if like, you know, at any of these miracles that Jesus was doing, if, if he stopped for a second and say, oh, well, hang on, hang on, let me record this, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's awkward. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's awkward. And so, um, you know, just just trying to stay off of um, off of social media and off of your 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 um, gadgets yeah. as much as possible. Um, man, I'm trying to think if there's there's anything else. Uh, you know, here's something that I'm doing this year. This actually is just starting this week, and so people can kind of keep track on my blog, CarlosWhitaker.com. But I've decided um, that this year, kind of the next aspect of moment making for me. So really the first time I've shared this is um, I'm going to take an adventure a week. Okay. And so I, I think that um, a lot of men, okay, my age, okay, so say 30 to 40, uh-huh. um, I feel like they've lost that, that adventure aspect of who they are. Why? Again, because they've got to keep up with the Joneses. They've got to do all these things. And so, you know, I look on Instagram and I follow some of these adventurers and they're like 25 and they're like cycling from Oregon to Patagonia and yeah. like all these things. And I'm like, well, screw it. Like I'm done. Like I can't, I can't do that. But then my wife just challenged me. She's like, no, you can, you can live an adventurous life where you're at. And so I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to film myself. I'm going to do an adventure a week for 52 weeks. And so like, uh, for instance, tonight, um, I decided that I'm going to go find the, the tallest hill in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm just going to sleep outside on it. And so I'm going to go and I'm going to do that. I'm going to wake up in the morning. I'm going to go to my coffee shop and I'm going to work, but I'm going to have an adventure tonight sleeping outside. And so just tiny little things I'm going to do every single week uh, to make sure I have an adventure. And I just think being intentional about making these moments and living these adventures, uh, you're going to realize that your life is going to be a lot more fun than it yeah. was before. I think a good point that you make in the book too is... <clears throat> is just not uh, not living under the misnomer that there are certain things that need to happen yeah. or stuff that you need to acquire or a paycheck that you need to receive in order for these moments to happen, yeah. that they can happen, happen like in the here and the now. Yes. And, and just that sort of like procrastinating and putting that off, you miss so much opportunity. I think oh. that that's a really helpful point. Yeah, you, you do, you know, and, and uh, you know, honestly, paying attention again, you're going to realize there's all kinds of moments that are around you just kind of waiting to be had. Um, you, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to have these big budgets and do these big flashy dinners and, you know, these big flashy things to, to be a moment maker. You know, right. I think I think being a moment maker is just making sure that you're capturing those moments around you that are happening all the time. Totally. Um, one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about, <laughs> I was just thinking about this is you're kind of talking about this new kind of adventure a week thing that you're doing. Yeah. Do you have, um, are you just sort of like making this up as you go <laughs> moment by moment? <laughs> do you have a, do you have an, oh, you know, some people really you talk to them and, and they, you know, it's not even just a five, but they have a, a, a particular legacy. They know they want to leave and an objective yeah. that they seem to have reverse engineered that they're trying to go toward. And like, do you have that? Like that when people look back on the legacy of, of your life and your ministry, that there's something specific you're trying to accomplish or are you really just making this up as you go? Yeah. You know, I, I think, um, I'm going to pull up a, an Evernote file here. Yeah. If you don't mind as I'm, as I'm looking, cause, cause I think that, um, uh, I think that's a great question. Um, I think, I think it's, it's that my answer is kind of both and, okay. um, for, first of all, I look, I look at my life kind of in seasons uh, when it comes to my mission. I think some people 
overwhelm themselves with trying to have one mission statement for their life. Yeah. And and I just think that's a bad idea because <clears throat> we we change and we shift and our ethos changes and shifts. And then suddenly you start feeling bad because you don't even want to do what you said you wanted your life to do before. Yeah. So I, I kind of have um I kind of like to write these things every five years. Like what's my and I've done it, I've done it twice, so it's it's happened kind of in 10 years. But I'd say that 10 years ago, Carlos, um, if I look at, at, the, at the five years after I kind of wrote this mission statement for myself, I would say that I hit it dead on. And, and the, the, the calling was to disturb and disrupt career Christians for the sake of them seeing Christ's face fresh again. Okay. And so I felt like that was my shtick. That was what I was going to do. So when you read my blog, when you look at my blog seven years ago, six years ago, it was very disturbing and disrupting to career Christians. It was uh, it was kind of the thing that kind of got me on the map. Um, I wasn't scared to talk about certain things. What were some about, of the, what were some of the posts that you were hitting on? You know, the, those posts. Um, I mean, th- this was six and seven years ago. I, I had a uh, a national coming out of the closet week on my blog. So like mm-hmm. six years ago, I was interviewing Christians. Uh, who'd come out of the closet um, in homosexual relationships and things like that. And okay, this, this isn't 2012 or 2013. This was, you know, 2007. And so, you know, I was getting in trouble at North Point. I was getting, you know, in all kinds of trouble, but I felt like these were very important um, conversations that people needed to have back then. Um, You know, so, so definitely things like that. I I definitely would, would, would push the envelope when it came to talking about you know, um, sex on my blog and just things about marriage that people, uh, you know, weren't really comfortable talking about. Um, and so, but, but here's, here's what happened is, is as I, I continue to move and walk into this, um, uh, I guess this mission statement, right. To disturb and disrupt towards about year four, I kind of started feeling like an a-hole to be honest with you. Like I kind of started feeling like a jerk. Uh I kind of started feeling like, like Howard Stern of the Christian blogosphere. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's not necessarily what I want my legacy to be. Like Christ has placed me here to make sure people see his face fresh. It doesn't always have to be disturbing and disrupting people. Okay. What does that look like? And so um, as I began to mature, I feel like my mission and my, my mission statement in life began to, to mature as well. And it kind of shifted um, and, it, and it shifted into um, kind of where I'm sitting now, where, where I'm really wanting people to see Christ's face fresh, not by disturbing, disrupting their faith, but I'm, I'm wanting people to see Christ's face fresh, fresh by living this moment making life and living an intentional life and uh, an adventurous life. And, you know, that's pro- that may change again uh, in the next few years. But right now it's definitely shifted. So, so I think to answer the first part of your question, yes, um, I've had definite statements that I wanted kind of the legacy of Carlos to, um, to kind of be read by. And then I would say, secondly, um, when it comes to kind of planning some of these things, uh, I definitely have a, a method to my madness. Um, my, my wife and I love to do every year, uh, right before the new year, we do what's called an adventure plan. And um, a lot of people do life plans. I've done life plans. I think they're great. Um, but a life plan is no good. Uh, you know, if I get hit by a truck next week. Right. And so like, like I want to make sure that, that, that we have an adventure plan as well. And so, you know, in order to have an adventure plan, we, there has to involve risk. You've got to be scared of something. There has to involve reward at some point. You've got to feel good about it. And then revelation. I think, I think that something has to happen spiritually in your spirit in order for it to be an adventure. So we, I've written down, now I've got about 30 things in 2015 that I'm going to have an adventure doing. And so those 30 things I'm going to kind of go through on my blog. All right. So what do you, what do you, that's awesome. Uh, so what do you say to people? I could, I could, I could hear people like pushing back on some of this a little bit and go, you're a, you're a bit of a freak. 
You know, like <laughs> you have you have a unique gift. You're an artist. You have sure. clearly a wife who's pretty. Uh, she's not adverse to risk by any means. Yeah. Um, and I don't have that. I'm not an artist. I'm not creative. My wife uh, or my husband is is a hyper planner. They're not like okay yep. with all this adventure stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like what what does moment making look like for people who are going to be wired maybe totally different than what you are naturally? Yep. Does that make sense? Absolutely. You know, I, I the first thing I say to those people is if you cook pasta on Thursday nights, you need, you need to, you need to cook a burger. I mean, that, that is it. There is your stretch right there. And for some people that is going to open their minds, open their, open their eyes to all kinds of new things around them. I tell people all the time that are, that are just like that. Okay. Listen, like, yes, Carlos is a freak. I'm, I'm okay with, with, with you looking at my life and going like, are you freaking kidding me? Like you're going tonight yeah. to sleep on a hill yeah. in Nashville, Tennessee. Like I, I don't even want to do that. that yeah. That's the, that, I don't even consider that an adventure. I consider that pain and yeah. suffering, you know? And so I'm like, okay, but again, if you remember what, 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 what I defined adventure as and what I define moment making as, okay, it's just taking you the definition of you and pushing that a little bit farther. So my definition is going to look different than everyone else's definition definition in here. But I will say this, um, our God did not design us to live a boring life. Yeah. And, um, and so, so I'll say that until I'm blue in the face. If, if you're living a boring life, um, just a completely safe life, and if you're trying to live like Jesus Christ and you look through the scripture and you look at his life, in no way, shape, or form was Jesus Christ a boring human being that lived a safe life. Definitely. Therefore, th- therefore, you know, we, we can't be doing that. If your Christian life is, faith, is, is safe, you know, if your um, evangelism is safe, um, I think you just have to take one step out of your comfort zone. When I lead worship, I tell people this all the time. I think this is a great example of what you're talking about. People see Carlos leading worship and I'm jumping up and down and I'm spinning around and my arms are in the air and I'm on my knees and I'm crying, you know, and, uh, and I think that some people, and I say this a lot when I go travel and lead worship, some people are like, I, I don't feel like that when, I, when, I'm, when I'm singing in worship. Like, I, well, you may not even like music. It's okay, yeah. you know, but, but the thing is, is all I want you to do is to take one step out of your comfort zone. Okay. If that is one hand out of your pocket, kind of like holding your pinky out or you're <laughs> holding your Starbucks cup, yeah. then hold your freaking pinky out. Okay. Yeah. That, that's it. But so I'm not saying you have to go all crazy, but you do have to take one small step. I think, um, in, in, in risking and getting a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. I will say just personally, like this last year I ran a Spartan race for the first Attaboy, time. Yes. And, uh, and I remember like, I, I, I definitely trained harder because I was afraid I was literally going to die. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and I still like, I look back on, on completing that. It's one of the fondest memories oh, yeah, that man. I have. And, uh, and so I'm already thinking about that kind of stuff, but it was a really important learning for me on, on yeah. that. It took, you know, paying the money, taking the risk, doing the yeah. training to get ready for it. But it was, it was a, a huge defining, you know, moment yeah. for me that really meant a lot and had a lot of significance. Dude, Spartan race. Like I I'm, I'm scared to death. Everyone at my CrossFit box is always like, dude, you got to do these Spartan races. And I'm like, and I go online and I watch him and I'm like, they're like shooting bullets at your head and you're like climbing <laughs> over fire. Yeah. I'm like, you're crazier than me. Yeah. Ryan. It, is, it is awesome. You should try it. It's fun. I think you'd really, really like it. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Let's talk a little bit about social media in particular Absolutely. for a second. I think, I think anybody in our culture who wants to say anything is going to have to probably at some point incorporate social media yeah. into their life. And so as some someone who's seen tremendous success and I'm sure made mistakes and learned and all of that. Like, why don't, could you just share about that? Like, what do you think are some keys to using it well and yeah. some pitfalls to watch out for? 
Yeah, I, I think I think some keys to using it well is to um, understand first of all as you're. Um, I think there's two aspects of social media. There's what you see and there's what you say. Okay. Um, I think I think you have to know that what you see is a fairy tale. Okay. Uh, I, and I tell people this all the time. What you what, everything you see online is a fairy tale. And why I say that is because people are literally painting a picture for you that they want you to see that is. Probably, I mean, pretty make-believe. And the reason why I say it's make-believe is because you're just seeing the best parts of their day. Right. Um, and so if, if you go on and you see what everyone else is posting and you try to live up your life so that you can pull off an Instagram feed like that, you're going to fail miserably uh, because, because it's just not reality. It's not true. People look at my Instagram feed and they all the time, they, you know, I, I, I posted this yesterday on Instagram. I said that I can't remember exactly what I said, but it's, it's like being jealous of Prince Charming or, or Cinderella because you, you, you got to be you. And so what you see, you have to make sure you take with a grain of salt. But then also what you say, um, you also have to know that um, what I try to do on social media is I try as well as I can to paint the good and the bad. And I think what happens is, is people get a little bit clearer picture of my life. Um, I talk about my... Um, uh, struggles with depression and anxiety a whole lot on my blog, on Instagram. And I have found that when people read those things, man, the conversations um, and the way Jesus moves on online is way bigger than I'm like, than when I'm bragging about, you know, the big church that I led worship at last weekend, yeah. you know, um, nobody will call it bragging, but that's what, you know, it's, it's what it is. Yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I, I think make sure that you're saying and using social media to be authentic. You're going to watch your um, your influence grow. I think my influence has grown the most when I've been the most authentic. Um, my marriage went through a really tough season. And though I don't, didn't share the details of that tough season, I definitely shared that it was going through a tough season. And I just remember so many people writing me, you know, telling me like, oh my gosh, like, how, how did you make it through? I'm going through a rough season right now. How did you, you know, and, and th this happens, right? And you know this, this happens when you're preaching. This happens, you know, in, in any aspect. As long as you're being authentic, you're going to see that uh, grow. And then I think to get a little bit more um, specific as far as social media tools, um, you know, my, my buddy John Acuff, um, I'm, in a, I'm, I'm in this group called the Mastermind Group here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's an, it's an entrepreneurial accountability group. So okay. it's um, every week we meet and it's uh, Derek Webb, who used to be in Cadman's Call. Uh, he's in a, uh, he founded a, a business called Noise Trade where you uh -huh. exchange emails for music. Uh, John Acuff, who's an author and a speaker. Um, Jeremy Cowart, who's this photographer, uh, world-renowned photographer. Um, a guy named Kyle Chowning, who's started Relevant Magazine, and then somehow I got lucky enough to be in this group. And so they look at me all the time and they go, Carlos, you're blogging like it's 2007. You're Instagramming like it's 2011. And I'm, I, initially I was like, what are you talking about? And they're like, things have shifted and things have changed. And so people now, I actually blog on my Instagram feed more than I'm blogging on my website. Yeah. And so I'll use my Instagram because I realize people actually have to open up a laptop or, or a, a phone and type in www.blank.com to read my thoughts. Huh. Or they're opening up their Instagram anyway, and, and they're going to see my thoughts right there. So why not use Instagram as an Insta blog? So I'm, I'm constantly trying to uh, reevaluate the tools that we've been given. And, um, and, and, and I'm, always, I'm always moving. I'm always shifting. If you've been successful in something on social media, it's still like the Wild West. Know that that success is going to end and you're going to have um, to move and start using other things. So you know, I started using things like Pinterest. I'm getting the most um, 
probably links to my blog from Pinterest than I am from Twitter and Facebook combined. And huh. so, you know, just using things like Pinterest, um, using these tools differently, uh, I, I think it's super important. And uh, man, I'm a, you know, I could talk about this for 15 hours yeah. if you want. So. Well, who do you, I know I am, I'm, I know other people are going to listen to this and this is going to be completely selfish line of questioning for a few minutes. <laughs> no, that's fine. How, like, so what exactly are you using Pinterest? Can you just maybe give a little breakdown of when you think about Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Yep. What are uh, what are the what are the right ways to use them in their native context now, as yeah, opposed now. to like two thousand seven? Yeah. Now, um, well, let's just so start you're with using Twitter. Instagram as like a yeah. uh, almost like a microblog. Yeah, I'm absolutely using Instagram as the as as a microblog and as a place to where I am. I, I'm. I don't even. I try not to link back to my blog anymore from Instagram. I just share my posts on there. So they're long, but people love that stuff on Instagram. It's okay. crazy. It's, I feel like it's a storytelling platform is sure. what it is. Um, Twitter, you know, t- Twitter is, I really use now just for networking and for conversation. That, that, that's what I use it for. Like I, I don't, I don't push anything on Twitter anymore. Like I don't even try to, um, on my book, I think I tweeted three times to buy my book. Why? Here's the thing. Uh, people think, you know, all the time pe- people are like, man, you know, re- say, say for instance, Relevant Magazine is going to tweet my record. Okay. So say Relevant Magazine has 1.7 followers. I don't know how many people they have. Okay. But say they do. Here's the thing on social media and on Twitter, only the people that are looking at their phone at that very moment are going to see that. So maybe 2% of, maybe 2% of their audience will actually even see that. So you take that 1.7 million, you do the math, you divide that down. And then, um, you know, and, and then who, who's going to go back, you know, through their feed. I don't go back through my Twitter feed. Once it's gone, it's gone, gone, you know? And so, and so, you know, I look at Twitter as like not a great place to do marketing. I look at Twitter as a great place to have conversation. I, I love live tweeting events. I think that's great. I think, um, um, Twitter is really good for that in, in kind of that context. Facebook is, man, tw- Facebook is a freaking beast. Th- those people are the most conservative people on the planet. I can Instagram a photo and get 900 likes and everyone thinks it's hilarious. If I put that same picture on my Facebook fan page, I will be crucified. <laughs> really? And, uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's, and so I have to know the demographics that I'm kind of speaking to um, in, in the different places. You know, uh, college age kids don't hang out on Facebook anymore. Right. And so they're, they're all on my Instagram feed. They're on my Snapchat feed. Um, and so I need to know that my mom is on, is the one that's going to be reading stuff on Facebook. And so, (laughs) so, so when I use Facebook, I'm speaking to an older audience. I'm thinking that, you know, fifties, something like that. Um, and primarily, you know, moms that are 45 to 50 year old, uh, let me see. Uh, I'm using uh, Snapchat. I just mentioned it all yeah. the time now. That's probably my, my newest kind of um, experiment lately has been Snapchat. Now, people are thinking, oh, my God, Snapchat, isn't that a tool just to send naked pictures to other people? Right, right. And that, that's what I thought it was. And actually, it probably was for a while. But Snapchat has added a new feature called the Snapchat Story. And what's great about this is um, the whole thing with Snapchat, it's why their logo is a ghost, is that your posts will disappear. So you can send a post to somebody and you know that they can see it once. And then after six seconds or however many seconds you allow them to see it, that post is going to disappear. Now, just so people know, it doesn't really disappear. You can go to websites, pay money and and like and hack someone's Snapchat yeah. account, you know, okay. so. It won't disappear, but they've added a new feature called my story. And this is what I found so fascinating. I've been studying businesses and, um, 
that are using it really well. My story is a video or a picture that goes on Snapchat that will be public for anyone to see that follows you, okay? So whoever's following you on Snapchat will see this for 24 hours. So your story will stay available for 24 hours. So what, ends, what it ends up doing is it becomes a great storytelling platform. So say, you know, the first time I tried to do this was when we moved houses. I said, hey guys, if you wanna keep up with the Whitakers today as we move our, from one side of town to the other, follow my Snapchat, which is Whitakrew, K-R-E-W. Um, and, uh, and so people followed me that day and they were, I saw them the next day at church and they were like, dude, your Snapchat story was hilarious. Now, if they didn't follow me that day, they couldn't see it the next day. So there, there's a, there's a little bit of motivation, um, almost. motivation to yeah. kind of watch it. And so I've been trying to use that every single day to kind of trying to grow my platform. And because of that, I now have, um, a couple of, um, sponsorship opportunities where some people are like, Hey, will you do a Snapchat with my, you know, will you come and visit, um, this bed and breakfast and we'll pay you and you can come and stay for free if you just Snapchat about it. And so suddenly <laughs> I'm like, wow, like people are actually seeing that this is working. And so, yeah. um, it's, it's really fun to just watch. Um, I get it all leads into making sure that, um, whoever's really into social media is looking for tools that maybe people aren't using, um, well at the moment and try to use it better than they are. And so I'm doing that with Snapchat right now. And, you know, and some of my friends that have been my blogging friends for a long time or on Instagram are really successful on things are like, why are you Snapchatting? And I'm like, you're, you're not going to say that in a year. You're going to be like, oh my God, I wish I would have started. So, yeah. you know, the, the, my story feature on Snapchat is really cool. All right. Well, you, um, you're clearly like an idea guy yeah. and uh, big on vision. So I'm just curious, in addition to the, you've already talked about the adventure a week thing, but just as you look at 2015, what are some of the things that are on your heart and mind that you're, that, that are ideas for, for what you're thinking about? Yeah. You know, uh, well, 2015 is, is also the year that the next book is due. <laughs> so, okay. so, so that, that really kind of chops off about 75% of my brain okay. kind of ju jumping into that. Can you and, talk um, about what you're writing about in the next yeah, one? Yeah, you know, I, absolutely. Um, you know, I went, you know, th this book is, um, based on a story that my dad told me, um, on the way to a, um, to a therapeutic, uh, seven day retreat that I was going to go on. So, um, a couple, you know, uh, my marriage went through the rocks a couple years ago and uh, I knew that I, that I, I didn't need to just fix my marriage, uh, because I needed to fix myself. And so when you do that, um, you, you kind of have to go, at least I do, I go kind of all in. And so I found this it, literally it's seven days of therapy. You go to this retreat uh, with 40 people that you don't know. It's called Onsite. It's, it's about an hour west of Nashville, Tennessee. I've had a couple friends that have gone through it. And people say that it's about four years of therapy in seven days. Okay. <laughs> and so like- That sounds was, delightful. Yeah, yeah, right, delightful. But I knew like I wanted to kind of kind of crush it and jump yeah. in. And so um, my I'm on my way there. And you, you give them your cell phone and you give them your computer. You have no access to the outside world for seven days. Uh, you're rooming with people you don't know. You, um, you know, and I'm sitting there thinking, who are these freaks that are going to this? Like they all have these major problems. Mine are none compared to theirs. And so I'm on my way there, and um, I call my dad and just kind of let him know, hey, bro. I'm not bro. I don't say bro to my dad. Yeah. FYI, <laughs> hey, dad, if you're listening to this, I, uh, you know, I didn't call you bro. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doctor Whitaker, no. Um, I said, hey, dad, I go into this thing. I just want to let you know. And he, and I said, oh, I remember. I asked him specifically. I said, dad, why do you think I'm going to this? Like, like, what's going on with me? And he goes, Carlos, and he goes in his preacher mode. And he goes, um, when I was in Panama preaching my very first revival, there was a woman, Miss Ramirez, that came forward. And I was like, oh, dad, I don't have time for one of your sermons, or your stories. Like, I'm literally going to be there in five minutes. I'm not going to be able to use my phone again. I got to call a couple other people. He's like, no, listen. Miss Ramirez came forward and she goes, Pastor Fermin, 
can you please pray that the Lord cleans the cobwebs out of my life? And he said, so I prayed. I, I prayed that the Lord would clean the cobwebs out of her life. I said, okay, dad, get, get on with it. He goes, the second night of the revival, she comes forward. Pastor Fermin, can you play, pray that the Lord cleans the cobwebs out of my life? And he, my dad said, he looked at her and he's like, I prayed that last night. And she goes, no, 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 pray again. So he goes, so I prayed again. He goes, and then Carlos, I, she came forward the third night and I saw her walking down. And she goes, Pastor Fermin, can you pray? And he goes, no. Tonight we pray, he kills the spider. And he goes, Carlos, you're going there to kill the spider. And you were going there because I've watched your entire life. I've watched you clean the cobwebs out of your life. I've watched you just shine and people think it's awesome, but you've never, ever killed the spider. And unless you kill that spider, it's going to keep creating havoc, keep creating cobwebs in your life, and you're just going to be exhausted. And so, man, that kind of blew my mind. And I got there. And so the whole time I was just thinking, I've got to kill the spider. And so all that to say, my book's called Kill the Spider. And, um, and I'm super, super excited about writing it. I've, I've kind of been, you know, researching and studying right now, just all kinds of aspects to it. And so, you know, it's going to, book, it's going to be a book about how to stop doing the things that we want to stop doing and, and how to really kill the spider and stop cleaning the cobwebs. That's awesome, man. Love that. Thanks. So bro. that's a good part of your year. You got this yeah. adventure a week thing. We're going to pray you don't die on a mountain tonight in Nashville somewhere. <laughs> pray, on it. pray that I don't <laughs> die. I'm doing an adventure week. I am, um, I'm launching a couple things too. I'm launching a couple of, um, I got really fit a year ago. I lost about 35 pounds. I started doing CrossFit. And so I did this thing in, um, in December called Fit by First. Yep. And, um, and I launched this. It was kind of like a 30-day kind of inspirational video from Carlos a day. And he's going to tell you to do burpees. And that went really well. And so I'm going to do that a couple more times this year and just kind of help people. Um, you know, most of these people are, are working on church staffs. And they're, you know, they're, um, they've decided that they want to take their health back this year. And so I'm going to do that a couple more times this year as well. Awesome. Well, why I always, not? Uh, why not, man? Uh, you need one more thing to do. One so, more thing. Why yeah. not? You? <laughs> uh, well, every time I get to have a conversation like this, I put out on social media who I'm going to be talking to and ask people if they have questions. And yeah. So I got a couple back uh, okay. for you that were good, I thought. And I this is a good segue. But I'm curious about someone mentioned the CrossFit and yeah. uh, health thing that you've really become a big advocate for. Yeah. And so um, they just mentioned that. The qu my question kind of is, what for you was the turning point in getting healthy? So you kind of had a season where, I mean, when I first started following you, you looked totally different than what you yeah. look now. Yeah. And so what, 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 what switch flipped in you that you moved to like CrossFit maniac? How did that yeah. happen for you? Yeah, I think um, it, it, was, it was after my marriage to went, hit rock bottom. And um, it had nothing to do with my health, uh, with my physical health. But here's the thing that I realized for me, when, when I, when I tried, man, I tried so hard to, to find discipline in my life, to do everything, be a better husband, be a better dad, be all these things. When, when, and, and I tried to get healthy. I tried to, you know, I'd go to the gym, I'd run three miles. I just kept searching. Well, actually it wasn't, it wasn't even working out that did it for me. It was, it was changing my sleeping patterns, which sounds it's totally crazy. But when I started, I used to stay up till three in the morning and wake up at 10 just because my schedule allowed me to do that. When I started going to bed at 1030 and waking up at five, there's something about that one shift that was like the beginning snowball effect for me, getting everything else healthy in my life. And so I knew that when I was up that early, I was hustling before the sun came up, before anyone else. I, I felt like I was winning. Okay. Cause everyone else is sleeping and I'm destroying them right now. And so, so th there was that thing which led into the health thing. And so for me, man, uh, CrossFit, you know, I don't think it has to be CrossFit for everybody, but for me, 
I'm, and you could probably tell through this conversation, I'm just a motivational, like I'm words of affirmation. I want people to like, you know, tell me I'm doing awesome. And so CrossFit's just this uh, community that does that. The workouts are kind of group based and, you know, people are cheering you on. You're always cheering for the last person to finish. And so that was really fun for me. And it, it just kind of clicked for me. And then when, when other people started, you know, telling me, Hey man, like you're looking great. You're, you know, how are you doing it? Um, it just became, you know, I love to see people's lives change and it doesn't have to be, um, in a certain way. I love to see people become worshipers. I love to see people become disciples of Christ, but I also love to see people get healthy. And, um, it's just, I don't know, man, it's just become something that I've become super passionate about. And who knew that I was going to be like the Christian Richard Simmons. And, uh, you know, like, like I'm, I'm all about it, man. Like this year I'm like, you know, I want to put out these these like fitness videos and stuff like that. And so it's just something that I, I know for me was the catalyst for everything else. It was a catalyst for me killing my spider, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I don't think I would have killed it had I not changed my yeah. body. I just want you to know, we don't know each other very well, but if you start wearing <laughs> Richard Simmons shorts, <laughs> I'm going to find your friends and stage an intervention. Okay. okay that'll that'll have that. to be the end. Uh, all right. So last question. Um, we've talked a lot about social media and platform and all of that. And I thought this was an interesting question because I think this is one of the pitfalls in this culture that we live in. But what are some practices that you implement to keep yourself from uh, the vanity and narcissism that that is so commonly attached to social media? But with being a person who lives so much of your life on social media, how do you how do you protect yourself from those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, less selfies, first of all. Okay. Uh, when, 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 when I looked at my life, when it was in the, in the crapper, okay. When, uh-huh. when I looked at when my life, when my life was struggling the most, it's unbelievable. I look at 2010 in my life. I was taking a picture of myself every single day of my mug and putting it on my, on, on my Twitter feed and my Instagram feed without even knowing that I was desperately seeking affirmation. I was desperately seeking those things. And so, I mean, here's the thing. It may, people, it may make people uncomfortable that are posting a lot of selfies, but it's just true. Like when, when your friends start posting more selfies of themselves, they are looking for affirmation. And so like, I, I, I just know, I know with my friends, I know with my wife's friends, and it's very easy to, to see the people that aren't finding their identity where they need to be finding their identity in. So that's the first thing I say is, you know, the less selfies, the, the, the better your identity probably is sitting when it comes to social media. Um, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> I actually, I, I saw something on Twitter, um, last week where it said the reason they call it a selfie is because a narcissistic is too hard to write. And so, you know, um, it, it's just, you know, it, it's just funny. And, and, you know, and I kind of step in even into that with my kids where I don't want to tell people selfies are wrong. Okay. I, I don't, I, I walk by the mirror and I check myself out and I, I, I say, man, like that is a really horrible outfit. I need to fix that. Or man, you know, I think I'm looking pretty fly today. So my daughters, right there, I've got a 12 year old daughter now who all of her friends are posting selfies. And so like the other day I picked up my phone and I found, I don't know, 120 just pictures of her kind of like maybe a little duck lip, like a little, you know, like, and I'm like, okay, how do I have this conversation? Do I tell her that the selfie is wrong or do I help her with, you know, or or do, or do we just kind of have a moment where I learn and she learns about it too? So I kind of entered that space in that conversation with a little bit more intentionality than I normally would have. But I, you know, I just kind of started saying, Hey baby, I just want to let you know that, um, you know, as you're, as you're taking pictures of yourself, I think it's okay to post a selfie, just not all the time. You know, like I think it's okay to 
to have people tell you that you're beautiful. I think it is okay for anyone listening to this to post up a selfie and get a little self-worth. It's not horrible for that to happen, but I do think that um, uh, it, it, it can, you can kind of fall into a bad pattern where you're, you're getting all of your identity from social media. And so another thing that I do and I tell people to do is to make sure that they're taking, at least I do it an annual, once a year, um, a fast from social media. And so you'll realize that, you know, for me last year, it happened when I uh, went to, um, to that, that therapeutic retreat place. I guess it was two years ago now, uh, seven days where I with no social media. And so you think the world's going to end, but guess what? People actually, people actually keep going when you don't update your feed, you know, and, um, but I'm like, oh my gosh, no, my, my life is on social media. Um, and that's how I make my income It's how I make my living. And you know what? People were, were just fine with it. And so, you know, just, just to take time away from it. Um, if, if it's a day, a lot of people take Sundays, um, you know, um, they, uh, they take Sundays and they don't, they don't brag about how many people showed up at their churches that Sunday they, you know? And so, um, yeah, we, we call it the churchy, uh, yeah. when, when people are always kind of doing that of their, uh, worship services and stuff. And so, you know, just kind of take, take some time away from it. Um, and then make sure that you're, 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 you're writing for, um, to help other people. I, I think for me, um, for the longest time, when I was in my disturbing, disrupting phase, I was writing so that I could get reaction as opposed to writing so that I could help. Uh, when, it, when I started to write to help people, um, that became just as addicting as, as the reaction. And so, um, you know, write, write to help people. I think it really helps, whether that's, you know, your Twitter, your Instagram, um, your Facebook, as long as you're, you know, helping people. But don't, again, nobody wants another um, uh, Tony Robbins or Oprah. Like we, we, we've got those people already. Like we don't, we don't have to be like the quote King. There's nothing worse than like somebody that's just Instagramming quotes every single day. So right. Kind of, yeah. right. <laughs> no, no, man. That's good. I appreciate that. Well, man, the book is moment maker. Uh, it's available obviously up on Amazon and other places. Yep. And then really excited about the new one. Thanks for your blog and the way that you've used social media to inspire and help so many. You've been a blessing to me. So I appreciate your time today. Absolutely, buddy. Thanks, man. Well, thanks again to Carlos for our conversation. And if you have not read his book, Moment Maker, yet, you really, really need to pick it up. The one thing that I can't get out of my head is the emphasis that Carlos puts on intentional living. I love the way that he said that these significant moments in his life haven't just happened to him, he happened to them. And it has me thinking a lot about how to bring more intentionality to my life as a Christian, a husband, a daddy, and a pastor. You know, the whole point of In the Room is conversation. So let's take our conversation online. What's uh, one area of your life or your ministry that you want to bring more intentionality? You can join the conversation online using the hashtag In the Room. And as always, I would love to connect with you on my blog, ryanhugley.com, but also on uh, Twitter and Instagram at, at @ryanhugley. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. Now, don't forget to help me spread the word. You can share this episode on social media and leave a review on iTunes. We're going to be back next week with episode number eight in my conversation with Alec Rollins. He's the senior pastor of Westgate Chapel in Edmonds, Washington. He's the president of Church Awakening, which is a spiritual renewal network with more than 1,300 pastors that participate in it. And he's also the author of a great new book called The Presence, Experiencing More of God. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.